0: We're going to be considering the salvation of Zacchaeus this morning, the salvation of Zacchaeus. Turn to Luke chapter 19, very much a contrast to what we had in our first reading. Luke chapter 19, I'll read verses 1 through to 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, And said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood And said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham." For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I suspect that sometimes you hear (coughs) an illustration in a sermon and that illustration grabs your attention. Normally the illustration is used to start a sermon for that purpose, to grab people's attention. Consequently... You leave church remembering that funny or interesting little story from the preacher, even if you've forgotten everything else that was said. You've remembered the illustration. Also, you might hear or read about an encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ with an individual or with a multitude of people, and your abiding thought is of the person or the people whom Jesus met, instead of your abiding thought being of the person and the work of the Saviour. For example, we can consider the paralysed man lowered through the roof of a house. I think most of us will probably know that account. Four stretcher bearers lowered a paralysed man through the roof of a house. You can almost picture him being lowered to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ who was preaching in that house. Everyone who knows that story would think about the paralysed man. But what is your abiding thought? Maybe your abiding thought is that he got up, restored in his body. Jesus had performed a miracle He was lowered down into the house, paralysed, and by the end of it all, he could walk. How about your abiding thought being that Jesus did what was most needful for that man? A paralysed man, presumably paralysed from head to toe, being lowered into the presence of Jesus. And what did Jesus do for him? He forgave him his sins. That's the abiding thought for me. Jesus, the Saviour, saved that man from his sins. Most important thing of all. Something that all of us need to fully appreciate. Whatever's going on in your lives, you need forgiveness you need to know Jesus. There's no, no other name under heaven given to men whereby they must be saved. And then there's today's passage that we're going to be looking at with that little man named Zacchaeus scrambling up a tree, a sycamore tree. It's my desire and my hope that you leave here today focused not so much on Zacchaeus but on Jesus who came to seek and to save that which was lost. May that be your abiding thought. That's how the passage finishes and that is a good thought for each of you to take away with you today. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's have a look again at chapter 19, Luke's Gospel, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. In verse 1, the location is given as Jericho, Which, if you look on a map, if you look on a map, Jericho is a city in the West Bank, bordering Jordan and the Dead Sea. In the Old Testament, Jericho was a kingdom, and it was the first kingdom to be conquered by the Israelites when they crossed over the River Jordan to take possession of the land that God had promised them. In verse 2, we're introduced to Zacchaeus, who was chief among the publicans. As such, he would have been in overall charge, (coughs) overall charge of collecting taxes in an area that apparently had a heavy and lucrative trade in balsam, which was taxed at a high rate. Zacchaeus was rich, no doubt being chief among the publicans the tax collectors, paid well. Whilst worldly riches do not bar people from being saved from their sins and from storing up treasures in heaven, worldly riches are nevertheless a hindrance to covetous hearts. And the Apostle Paul said that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not for nothing that Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. However, as can be seen in this passage, the riches of God's grace are infinitely greater than man's covetousness. Look at verses 3 and 4. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press or the crowd because he was a li- he was little of stature and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way People come to church for a variety of reasons. Some come because they're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and so they come to church to worship God. Others, such as young children, they might be coming to church because they have to, they've got no choice. Mum, Dad come to church so they have to come to church. Others might come because they are seeking answers and they might be under a conviction of sin. But what about that little man Zacchaeus? Why did he attend the outdoor gathering? Why did he run ahead of the crowd and climb a sycamore tree where he would have been well placed to see the Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 3, it is written that he sought to see Jesus, who he was. Maybe Zacchaeus was under a deep conviction of sin, and even though he climbed up into a tree, he was feeling as low as you can get, because of a heavy burden of sin that he was carrying. Maybe. If that was the case, he did well to go to where Jesus was coming. After all, Jesus is the only one who can take that heavy burden away. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. However, climbing up a sycamore tree where other people, especially children, were probably perched, does not suggest to me that Zacchaeus had it in mind to seek forgiveness from Jesus, the Saviour. As the verse says, he sought Jesus, he sought to see Jesus, who he was. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard that before Jesus entered Jericho, he gave sight to a blind beggar. The details of which can be read in chapter 18 verse 35 to 43. Maybe his curiosity was aroused as to who the miracle worker was, how old he was, and what he looked like. He sought to see, who see Jesus, who he was. Maybe he wanted to see a miracle being performed, and so he made sure that he would have a bird's eye view And be certain not to miss anything. Let's have a look at verses 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. We've considered a few maybes, haven't we, concerning the motivation for Zacchaeus running to where Jesus was and climbing up a sycamore tree. What can be said for certain is that Zacchaeus would not have known that Jesus would look at him, look up at him, see him, call him by name and say, today I must stay at thy house. Does anyone in here imagine that Zacchaeus had expected that to happen? The encounter was planned by God and it resulted in the Son of God entering Jericho and passing through it on a divine mission to save Zacchaeus from his sins. No coincidences, no chance meetings here. It was planned by God. If that were not the case, Jesus would not have looked up. He would not have called Zacchaeus by name. He would simply have passed him by. As it was, the name that proceeded from the heart and the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ reached the ears of Zacchaeus. And it was a name that was already written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. Zacchaeus having been chosen by God for salvation before the foundation of the world. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name with a holy, irresistible and effectual call. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And Zacchaeus did precisely that. He made haste and he came down. There was never any question of him not responding to that call from the Saviour. Let's have a look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. The people in the crowd murmured, they complained, because Jesus was going to enter the house of a publican, a tax collector. Not only did publicans collect taxes for the Roman authorities, but also they were thieves. They enriched themselves by collecting more money than they ought to have. For that reason, when certain publicans came to John the Baptist Baptist for baptism, they said to him, Master, what shall we do? And he replied, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. He didn't tell them to stop being tax collectors, but John the Baptist did say, stop stealing from people. There's no doubt about it that Zacchaeus was a sinner and it is only sinners who have need of the Saviour. Jesus did not become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, for sinless people. Therefore, instead of being indignant that Jesus went into the homes of sinners like Zacchaeus and he ate with them, the moaners in the crowd ought to have been amazed And thankful that the sinless Son of God came down from his heavenly glory into this dark world of sin at all. So should we be thankful. I don't think we spend any time, do we, actually thinking about it. It's We're thinking about something that we can't relate to. It doesn't stop us from trying. Think about the Son of God without sin. Well, already we're out of our depth there because... We are sinners and we're thinking with sinful minds. But the sinless Son of God stepping down into this world of sin everywhere. Sin everywhere. And Jesus came into this world to save people. Ultimately to lay down his life on a cross for them. We should be thankful, every one of us, as we thank God. And we have a testimony. The Son of God came into this dark world of sin. Because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. Everyone in the world is a deep-dyed sinner. All have sinned. All come short of the glory of God. Jesus is in heaven now. Having paid the price for sin at the cross where he sacrificially laid down his life. But thank God now and forevermore, if he has called you by name and has saved you from your sins. Let's have a look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. We don't know how long the Lord Jesus Christ had been in the house of Zacchaeus, or what Jesus actually said to Zacchaeus, but this change in Zacchaeus is very evident in verse 8. At the beginning of the passage, Zacchaeus desired to see Jesus, who he was. And now, in verse 8, he is calling him Lord. He said, behold Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He did not say that to earn favour with Jesus. He wasn't grovelling to Jesus. He was offering half of his wealth In gratitude to God because he had been saved from his sins. In chapter 18 there's a passage about a rich young ruler who vainly seemed to imagine that he had kept God's laws. However he was wrong, he was a sinner like the rest of us and the Lord Jesus Christ exposed his covetousness by exhorting him to sell his possessions And give the proceeds to the poor. Look at the rich young ruler's response to that exhortation. In chapter 18 and verse 23. And when he heard this. He was very sorrowful. For he was very rich. He didn't like hearing Jesus say to him. Sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor. He couldn't do it. He could not part company with his wealth, his riches. His riches meant more to him than storing up treasures in heaven. His earthly riches meant more to him than everlasting life, forgiveness of sins. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What we have in today's passage is altogether very different. Zacchaeus was not even told by Jesus to give his money away. He offered to do so and that in itself was evidence of something radical, something very special that had happened to him inside that house when he was in there with Jesus. That he had become a new creature in Christ. His love of money had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. By the grace of God, he was looking heavenwards, where all who belong to Jesus are storing up treasures that cannot be stolen and that are incorruptible. Not only did Zacchaeus give half of his goods to the poor, he demonstrated that he was truly repentant when he said, If I have taken anything from any man... By false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He would not have said that unless he really had exacted more tax from people than he should have done. Why even mention it? If he hadn't done precisely that. You know what? The way you are with others can be very telling indeed. If you're a Christian, you have no doubt shown repentance towards God. And day by day, you continue to repent and you continue to ask God for forgiveness as a Christian every time you offend your Heavenly Father. However, when you have caused pain and suffering to others, does your repentance translate into you saying sorry or making restitution to those that you have hurt or you have cheated. I've met people, Christians, professing Christians, who I've never heard say sorry. And I'm not judging them, but just like me and like the rest of us, they've done some things wrong. And they've called hurt, caused hurt. And never a sorry comes from their lips. furthermore as a christian you say that you love god but do you love your brothers and sisters in christ for example if your brother was hungry would you give him something to eat if he was thirsty would you give him a drink when i was a london city missionary and i was sent out on deputation i was so thankful To the lovely people who invited me into their home. Who fed me and looked after me. Would you invite a visiting missionary into your home? Would you give clothes to a needy Christian? Do you visit Christians who are in poor health? Do you visit widows in their afflictions? Would you even think to visit a Christian who was in prison. As a Christian, you have been forgiven all your sins. You have been delivered from the pit of destruction and you have been set upon the solid rock whose name is Jesus. And praise God for that. However, when was the last time that you shared your testimony with those who were perishing And you proclaimed Jesus and his gospel to them. As you prayed that God would deliver them from captivity to sin and to Satan. When did you last speak to someone about Jesus? There ought to be fruit in your life if you really are savingly united to the Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage we can straight away see the fruit of a genuine repentance proceeding from Zacchaeus. Let's read verses nine and 10. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus said what he said in verse 9, many of the people in the crowd would have been offended. They would have been angered by those words and by him going into the house of a tax collector. As as self-righteous Jews, they would have made much of the fact that they were physical descendants of Abraham. That meant everything to them. As far as they were concerned, because they were physical descendants of Abraham, therefore they must be God's people. However, when it comes to salvation from sin, it is a spiritual descendancy that matters, regardless of your physical descent. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, the apostle Paul said to the Christians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Doesn't matter what you are, male, female, slave or not a slave, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are Abraham's seed. You are a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Not those self-righteous Jews who were indignant because Jesus went into the home of a needy sinner. Finally, Zacchaeus went to see who Jesus was little knowing that Jesus had come to Jericho to call him by name with a holy call and to save him from his sins. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You could consider also the Apostle Paul, who prior to becoming a Christian was a zealous Pharisee by the name of Saul and he was a persecutor of the church. Until one day, when he was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, this is his call now, a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That wicked man Saul was saved by the grace of God who called him with a holy call. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul most certainly didn't just talk the talk, he walked the talk. He suffered the loss of all things and counted them but dung, that he may win Christ and be found in him. Then there is that famous hymn writer John Newton, who had been a slave trader, and who rightly considered the holy call of God to be part of his salvation grace newton's testimony was amazing grace, how sweet the sound he heard the grace of God, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So much for the chief among the publicans Zacchaeus and Saul, the Pharisee, who wasted the church, and John Newton, the slave ship captain. People all over the world are called by God with a holy and effectual call in all manner of situations when God grants them repentance and saving faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, I know of a tourist... In the centre of London, who received a Bible tract, a little brochure, a little leaflet, booklet, about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On his train journey home to Scotland, he remembered that he had put the tract in his pocket. He took it out and he read it out of boredom. One thing led to another, and at the end of it all, that man wrote to the London InReach project to thank them for the tract that they had given him in Covent Garden and to inform them that he was now a practicing Christian. One might say that the intercity train was his sycamore tree. Or maybe the call started when he received that tract from an evangelist in Covent Garden. Maybe that's when he was being called by God. As for my own experience, I will never forget sitting on a car park wall across the road from a little Baptist church near where I used to live in London and watching people as they entered the chapel. I have no doubt whatsoever that God was calling me He was calling me into that church, he drew me into that church and ultimately he drew me with loving kindness to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people are called by God and they are saved by his grace as children through family devotional times and the Lord speaks to them through godly parents. Others are called and saved at Sunday school. Then there are others who aren't really sure when and where they were called, but they are saved and they are trusting in Jesus, believing that he lived a perfectly sinless life on their behalf and that he paid the price for sin, their sin at the cross. The genuineness of their repentance and their faith can be seen in the born-again lives that they now live for the glory of God. Do you have an assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ has sought you, has saved you from your sin? Putting it another way, is there repentance in your life? And are you trusting in Christ alone for your acceptance before a holy and righteous God? Coming back to that crowd in Jericho, although people moaned, And complained about Jesus receiving a sinful publican. There may well have been others who were deeply challenged. As they were conscious conscious of their own burden of sin. Maybe you are challenged by something you've heard. Maybe you have not yet done anything about it. Well, if that's you, maybe Jesus is calling you by name. And this church is your sycamore tree repent and believe in the lord jesus christ believe that he has fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf and that he has carried away your sins at the cross of calvary and you will be saved amen